welcome to day four. And uh, so we'll be doing some uh, mixture of relational exercises and continuing with our mindfulness work. So um, just to deepen some of the ideas that were presented last night, Ah, yes. That's better. So, when we engage in what could be called external mindfulness, what we're doing is we're taking the same receptive, inquisitive, body-aware mind, and now we're turning it outwards towards other people. So, much in the same way that in mindfulness what we're doing is we're shifting the focus of attention away from our fixation on thoughts and stories and narratives and living in the the ongoing inner chatter that narrates life. And in mindfulness, what we do is we deepen into body awareness, into feeling awareness and emotion awareness, and we develop a much uh, more somatic connection. Awareness is less than about uh, living up here and narrating and thinking about how the present moment fits into a story leading us from earlier life to the future. And instead, when we deepen into the body and we connect with body sensations and emotions and we we reconnect with the, the breath and the feelings of the posture. What we're doing is essentially disconnecting from the sort of reducing of the present moment into something that we're just getting through to get from one place to another. And we're deepening into all of the sensations that are occurring in the present and sort of reconnecting with the complexity and the multiplicity and the wonder of not only the body that's keeping us alive but all the all the sensations that are available. So when we turn this um, awareness outwards, we're doing the same thing. We're not just fixating on the words that people say. We're actually deepening into what are what is occurring in their body language. What are they expressing uh, via feelings? We're, in essence, deepening, enriching the way we take in other people. 
in our culture, we tend to, if anything, we've gone in the opposite direction. We now reduce so much interpersonal life into a series of texts that we receive on phones that are completely disembodied, without any facial expressions, without any tone of voice, without any nuance. And not only is the result that we don't have any true emotional connection, but I'm sure every single person in this room has experienced uh, misunderstandings due to the nature of text, where somebody can be fully serious and we can take a remark as ironic, or somebody can be ironic and we can read it seriously. It's impossible to gauge the uh, emotional nuance of the disembodied text. And likewise on Facebook, the, the selfie that's posed with the, uh, the, the little, little text beneath it, 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 it attempts to replace honest, authentic, unguarded, spontaneous, true human communication with false bids for attention. False because a true bid is one where somebody is essentially presenting themselves and saying, I need your caring attention. When we pose in front of a, a bathroom mirror and hold a selfie and try to get the perfect image of ourselves and then present it to the world, what we're doing is presenting a bifurcated image that's you know, essentially not meant to convey any emotional truth but instead meant to uh, win likes. And so the kind of work we'll be doing in external mindfulness is geared in a very different direction than the normal communication that we have. Uh, even when people, two people get together uh, walking on a path here. Uh, generally, the kind of encounters we have is where we're just exchanging information. Oh, did you hear that such and such is happening for dinner, or uh, there's going to be somebody new arriving today, or there's going to be... Uh, People are going into town to see a movie later on. So there's, we tend to revert to the simple exchange of information where there's very little paying attention to what is going on in all the other foundations. The physical, the feeling, the attentional, we tend to just um, all the time go to what the Buddha called the foundation of thought. We all the time ignore the body language, the tone of voice, the emotional content. We tend to just sort of, unless it's very in our face, we tend to uh, put that aside. And over the course of the, the the last three days, for example, and this is not unusual, in the interviews and in conversations with people, I've had 
practitioners apologize for getting emotional. And that's very telling because um, it's our emotions are a vital component in expressing our state of being. Our emotions are not just these embarrassing things that we're trying to tuck away and conceal. Our emotions are actually what is the core way that we transmit to the people who give us care what our state of being is. There's no way that I can in words convey sadness the way my tears can or the crack in my voice. There's no way I can convey my frustration. Uh, if I try to do it in words, I'll shout, or I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to extreme language because I won't be able to really convey the feelings. But if I just shake and, and convey it visually, you'll get it. So the work we're doing here is uh, attuning in to the parts of what's being communicated to us all the time, but that we very often um, we don't receive. So um, there's a couple of basics to talk about, and then we'll deepen it. The first is that uh, external mindfulness is based on proximity, which means maintaining uh, a kind of staying present with other people and uh, not shifting our body language, turning away, get, allowing ourselves to get bored or to disengage. So it's a dedication to staying present with someone. It's also a dedication to attunement, which means putting aside the inner chatter, that, oh, I've got something I want to, oh, 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 shut up, shut up, shut up. Wait till you hear what I got to say. Okay, 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 okay. Get through it, get through it. Come on, hurry up, hurry up. Wait till you hear this. Attunement is this, you know, this putting aside even what we think is the most important bit of insight and having the trust that it will still be there and really maintaining a commitment to receive what is being said to us, what is being transmitted. So sympathy and empathy. Sympathy and empathy are uh, complementary factors. Sympathy is your left hemisphere of your brain. Empathy is your right. Sympathy is understanding the story that's being conveyed to you, uh, hearing the, the narrative and being able to repeat it back if, you, if it's helpful. So I can come to you and I can say, uh, oh, I just got some bad news from home, a friend of mine is sick or whatever. And you would be able to hear that words and be able to repeat back what I'm the, the story I'm conveying, that somebody I know is, is ill. But empathy is the right hemisphere of your brain, and it's the part of you that 
feels what another person is feeling. And to a degree, you might not completely mirror it back, but you can feel a little bit of it in your body or in your state of being. So when at times people have, you know, uh, uh, when uh, somebody who works here got injured recently and we heard about that, um, there's the sympathy of, oh no, is he going to be all right? But then there's the empathy of, the idea of being in an accident, that discomfort, that feeling of maybe fear or vulnerability, that's empathy. So sympathy is understanding a story, understanding what's being conveyed. Empathy is an attuned uh, physical, emotional connection. And to really provide deep emotional care with other people, uh, we need to be able to do both. If we can only provide sympathy, uh, that's helpful to say, oh, that must be so hard, that must be so painful, what you're going through. But when that's done with a completely flat affect, where there's no real visually conveyed care or connection, the other person will feel only half met, half understood. Where there's empathy, uh, we will feel that somebody really gets it, gets our sadness, gets our fear. But without the sympathy, without the understanding, sometimes that can be a little bit much too. Somebody who's suddenly in in sadness or fear or uh, anxiousness with us. So we want somebody who can both convey what they're hearing and somebody who has a, a kind of attuned, resonant care. This is, of course, you're not, we're, none of us are going to get this right. It's, this is just the kind of gold standard of the kind of what I work towards with, when I'm working with people and the kind of uh, support environment that when we practice, we can provide. So again, all of this is about putting aside the inner chatter, the rehearsing, the need to direct a conversation, the insistence on uh, uh, steering things, the opening to uh, uh, what's occurring. Mentalizing is a very important psychological term that describes the therapeutic work. And mentalizing simply means listening to what is going on beneath somebody's words. So, for instance, if you have a child and the child is frustrated and screaming, you might for take the moment to realize that beneath that, those that yelping and shouting, there's a completely different emotional state. Fear, confusion. So very often in times when we're meeting with people who are uh, curt, dismissive, they're not 
fully connecting. We could take it personally, but mentalizing is that inquisitiveness to ask ourselves, is there maybe something that I'm not seeing? Or what what is going on beneath this utterance, this conversation that is causing the person to act this way? It's a not reacting to the surface all the time. It's a being interested to what are the underlying states of being in the other person. Sometimes when I work with people, they come in and they uh, are very shut down. They're not saying very much. And of course, I could just, it would be very possible to assume that nothing's going on in their life or they just, you know, didn't have anything prepared to talk about. But in my experience, most of the time, that means they're grappling internally with uh, something that they're struggling about sharing and getting the trust to talk about or feeling, uh, having a way to express. So really, what they're presenting and what's going on internally are very, very different. And of course, I'm not expecting you to all become therapists all of a sudden, but the goal is just to introduce these ideas so that you can bear them in mind. Um, What we want to do in the work is create a safe container, which means we're not going to uh, try to cheer up anyone or give any advice or um, do anything other than receive And if you want to convey compassion, which is a lovely idea, do it visually with facial expression, with caring attention, seeing if you can convey empathy with your eyes. So when somebody speaks, if they talk about something that is uh, challenging, just give, don't try to alleviate the feelings other than through a very gentle, receptive, caring attention. You'll find that this actually at first might be awkward. We're so used to saying uh, something, relying on language to say something to make another person's feelings go away. But we'll find that actually the when we give space for somebody to talk, uh, and we simply maintain the connection, and we express our empathy with a facial expression, a body language, uh, it's very powerful. Now finally, we're all subject to what's called emotion contagion. Emotion contagion is... uh, Human beings are social beings, after all. When we're in a room of people that yawn, we'll start yawning. When we're in a room of people that are anxiously tapping their feet, we'll start tapping our feet. Uh, We are set up to unconsciously imitate, to attune to the behavior of others, so that when we really open to other people, of course we might uh, find ourselves becoming pulled in to their emotional state. Now there's a big difference between empathy, which is feeling uh, or connecting with the feelings that somebody else is 
going through and emotion contagion where we're suddenly pulled in. We were happy before we got into the conversation and now we're miserable. That's, that's emotion contagion. That's not empathy. Empathy is when the child is frightened by the big doggy and it comes running to the mother and the mother, seeing that the big doggy is a chihuahua, uh, both mirrors the child's fear to connect with it, but then smiles and says, oh, you're frightened of the doggy. But the mother, at the same time, she conveys an emotional understanding of the child's fear. She also conveys that it's going to be okay. So she's not being pulled into the child's fear of a chihuahua, but she's understanding it. So the goal is here not to be pulled into somebody else's emotional state, but not to, on the other hand, remain completely indifferent. It's what the Buddha called the middle way, where we can connect and really open to another person, but at the same time maintain our balance. So how do we do this? One, when you're with somebody who's really activated, stay in your body. You can attune to them, but also maintain a very comfortable, long out-breath. Two, besides relaxing your body, label back to them the emotion that you're hearing them conveying. This is really important. There's been a lot of studies by Lieberman that shows that not only does labeling an emotion help the person that's experiencing it, it makes them feel validated, but it also helps us from falling into that emotional state. So, for instance, if you run into a friend who's deeply wounded because she's just been through a relationship breaking up, and we've, she's really, really angry or sad, though we first take it in, feel some connection, and then verbally say, I can hear how, how painful this is, how sad this is, how confusing this is for you, how angry and caught off guard. In labeling the emotion, the friend will actually feel much more heard then if we just go into, oh, I can't believe that guy, he's such an asshole, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't accomplish anything. But if we, if, we, if we repeat back the emotion that we're hearing being conveyed, not only does it make the other person feel heard, but it has the amazing capacity of limiting how much we'll fall into. Uh, hospice workers that I know who do it professionally they do this all the time. They will name the emotion back to the person who's in hospice that they're expressing, not only as a way to make that person feel validated, but also as a way to help uh, label the emotions that are present so that they don't become overwhelmed themselves. Um, if you're coming away from uh, a difficult conversation, of course, a quick body scan, relax, soothing breath, relaxing the body, softening the body after a conversation that's been difficult, that allows one to essentially just uh, 
return to a somewhat neutral state so that we can move on to the next conversation. Um, finally, wisdom. This is the, the key to uh, working with other people. Of course, the Buddha recommended compassion and kindness, but he also rec recommended what's called equanimity. Equanimity is um, that ability to realize that we cannot end another person's suffering. We can connect and make them feel a little less alone. We can make their experience, we can normalize their experience by validating that we've felt or experienced similar uh, events in life. But we cannot end another person's suffering. It is impossible. I cannot end any of your suffering. And um, equanimity is the realization that we have to know what our limits are. And we have to be willing to accept our best efforts in connecting with others are good enough. And to not uh, walk away living in all that we should have done better, or B, get caught up in uh, the feeling that we should be able to save someone else. One of my teachers, Tan Jeff, uses the example of a heart surgeon who's capable of um, performing a very rare operation that only a few heart surgeons could perform. And so this heart surgeon has to meet, uh, on the days he's not operating, he has to meet with hundreds of people and evaluate their, their x-rays and scans and talk with them and see which ones he can help and which ones he can't. And the metaphor is, is that if that heart surgeon, every time he met someone that he couldn't help, fell apart, stayed with them for hours and couldn't let go and move on to the next person that he could help, that heart surgeon would not be helping anyone. And all of his the benefits he could perform would be lost to the people who he could be of help. The Buddha talks that there are many people that we would like to help, family members, friends, children, people we care about, that due to some, the, the lesson of the canon is karmic past, but it really is simply a matter of we might remind them of somebody from their past that they, they uh, didn't trust, or we might just not be the person with whom they emotionally resonate with. So, it's a really important to remember that when we are connecting with other people, that we have to be open to the possibility that the person who will uh, most resonate with that other person might not be yourself. It's not personal. It's not a failing in us. It happens all the time that I will work with people and realize that the, uh, the person I'm working with would be better served by another therapist that I know. And there are other times when people come from other therapists to me. It's not, uh, it's not 
it's not an, it's a statement that we're doing anything wrong. So the willingness to uh, know that we've done our best but we're not really connecting with someone, that's part of the work as well. Equanimity. Knowing that there's only a few people that we can at any time really deeply connect with and help. So to summarize all this, and then we'll get into the business, is uh, one, pause when we have these uh, disconnect from all the stories, the chatter, the wondering about the future, come into the present moment. Two, relax any underlying energy, that anxiousness, that wanting to get you know, through the day, that, that underlying, I've got to get things done, just switch off the inner chatter, the inner, you know, energy in the body, receive what's being communicated, not just verbally, but on all the levels, the, the visual, facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, be an open field to receive, Trust, which means don't give advice, don't uh, try to in any way change what's happening, don't try to steer the conversation. It's almost like uh, in external mindfulness, conversations can be a little bit, work can be a little bit like Ouija boards where nobody's in control, it's just sort of happening itself. Don't guide. And speak from and listen from the heart. That means not from just trying to make sense of it all or figure it out, but just feel what you're feeling and try to convey that. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah.